You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today is Dr. Jennifer Tugas, Assistant Vice President of Business Affairs at Western Kentucky University. How are you doing today, Dr. Tugas? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah. So that doctor, what 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 is that in? Is I think it ecology or zoology? I remember looking at your resume on LinkedIn before. Uh, yes, it is actually in ecology. Um, my doctorate is in the ecological physiology of Floridian coral reefs. So I spent my grad school days scuba diving the Florida Keys. No way. That's so cool. I This year I went out to Dry Tortugas National Park. Oh, fantastic. Oh man, it was, and that was my first time ever scuba diving and I fell in love with it. <laughs> so I was like, I can't imagine uh, doing that for, for school and for for your uh, dissertation and PhD. That's really cool. Yeah. The, the furthest uh, I went down the keys was Key West and never made it over to dry Tortugas, but that's a fantastic place. Yeah. I was thinking ecology is that like the, was it the study of the, or no, the maybe relationship among organisms? Yeah. You, or can, so, yeah so. you can think of it as a system. It, it's how energy moves through the system or carbon or nitrogen and competition for limited resources so that was that was an easy translation of parking well that's what i was that was that was my uh transition that you know hey moving cars and garages to physical places and people and mobility it's it it correlates maybe but actually let's get right into that how in the world do you go from that studying coral reefs and and the keys to getting into parking Oh, it's called being in grad school for too long and, and needing to pay my own way. Um, so my first job was actually as a temp agency or working for a temp agency, helping with mass registration at the University of Georgia. Um, and that led into really being the data entry person that was entering all those paper tickets into a Lotus spreadsheet, which led to becoming the computer specialist and managing an Oracle database and the rest, they say, is history. Um, so, yeah, the, it's definitely not one of those things where when I grow up, I want to be a parking professional. But the path that led me here has been very rewarding. Yeah, and we are uh, thankful that that path led you into parking. You've done great things with uh, within the industry, within IPMI, within uh, Mid-South. We'll talk about uh, some of this in a minute. But now, of course, you're at Western Kentucky. So some of our listeners, you know, we're not involved in the university world. Uh, we know parking and transportation department leaders. Business affairs, that's parking and transportation is just one spoke in that will. So what are some of the other things that you uh, lead and manage and supervise as as part of uh, a leadership in business affairs? Yeah, so uh, about two years ago, I stepped into the, um, it, it's still an interim position, but uh, assistant vice president for business services. So in addition to parking and transportation, we have the WKU bookstore, postal printing, vending, um, service supply, which you know includes inventory control, purchasing, uh, surplus operations, shipping and receiving. Um, so it's a, there, there's quite a bit underneath it, and mostly logistical things. You know, it's all about logistics and providing services to the university campus. Yeah. And then, of course, one of those is parking and transportation. So tell us a little bit about the parking environment at Western Kentucky. Is it garages, lots, tickets, permits? Kind of what, what, is your, what does that role look like? We have about 9,000 parking spaces and our enrollment is currently 15,000 or so. 
and, and so the ratio is pretty good there. We do have four garages that we operate, and the rest is all surface lots, part of which is on a remote south campus, which is actually where our parking and transportation building is. We, we built this building with a, an FTA 5309 grant that helped update, modernize our transit fleet at the time, but also created a facility for us to work out of. And at our peak, our transit system was carrying close to 900,000 students a year. Um, you know, we've since scaled back, you know, dramatically COVID, you know, we really shut down on that. But that, that also corresponded with, uh, with our peak enrollment back in 2011. But what we're what we're seeing now is is as we're coming out of COVID, you know, we're starting to return to some of those you know stronger numbers. And I used to work in in Louisville, Kentucky, so I'm somewhat familiar oh, with Bowling yeah. Green and uh, Western Kentucky. And I know they have uh, just because every year March Madness, they're always there. I don't know if they're if they're known for basketball or just maybe I just uh, maybe well, just from Louis know, I, in Louisville, I've seen them a lot. But I know you. You probably have a lot of event parking, I'm assuming, with the foot they have a football team, basketball team, other sports. Oh, we do. You know, we are a division one team and and WKU recently won the Boca Bowl, uh, which was pretty exciting. But uh we have about twenty five thousand capacity stadium. You know, so it's uh and it's about a two hundred acre campus. So it's a very walkable campus. Um bowling green as a city. You know, the city population is 55,000 and you extend into the county, it's about 155,000, but it's growing and, and, and it's a part of Kentucky to, that continues to grow. It's a very diverse area um, with a fairly strong economy. Um, there's quite a bit of industry in town and we're just an hour north of Nashville. Um, so there are, there are a lot of good things going for it. Um, it was quite an adjustment moving you know, I grew up outside of Atlanta in in the Roswell area and went to the University of Georgia and spent it 17 years over in Athens. And uh, so it was a bit of an adjustment to come to Bowling Green and say, this is the third largest city in Kentucky. (laughs) You know, know, take a bike ride in the country and it, you know, there's a sign that says congested area. And what they mean is there are four houses. (laughs) So it's, you compare that to Atlanta traffic and and everything is relative. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, when the directions are like, take a ride at the big tree and <laughs> take yes. a ride, then you know Absolutely. you're... Yeah. Absolutely. No, and, and I remember telling people that I was moving to Kentucky and I got some like, wow, have fun with that or yikes. Right. And yeah, But like you said, I mean, I just fell in love with Louisville, Lexington, but there's some great cities in Kentucky and I just, one of the happiest places we've ever lived was in Kentucky. So it's a a great state and uh, I'm glad that you like it. Yeah. One cool thing, just again, researching kind of your portfolio and the university and reading everything you've written online. Kind of one cool thing that you have in the pipeline is I, I know you're trying to revolutionize the permitting process. So most universities, you buy a permit. It's good for the year, the semester. You can park here, not here. Uh, you guys are kind of trying to break the mold about the traditional annual parking permit process provide more as a pay-as-you-go option for customers. Can you kind of talk a little about that? Because I think a lot of our university and city leaders would like to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's basically recognizing that an annual permit is a one-size-fits-all solution, that we don't live in a one-size-fits-all world. And we actually initiated the, we were 
just about to begin the project in March of, of 2019 when COVID hit. And so you know, we kind of put the screeches on that. Um, but we resumed it um, this year. And Kimberly Horn is helping us with the analysis of it because, you know, the advantage of the selling the permit up front is you get all your revenue. You know, we get 90% of our revenue by November. And, and you know, you can pretty much bank on that, no pun intended, but you know what your, your revenue stream is for the year and you, you know how to budget for that and you know what you can take care of as a, as a result of that. And switching to a more of a pay-as-you-go model, how do we structure those permit fees so that we still get the revenue that we need? You know, understanding that 25% of our population is only coming to campus once a week. You know, when we go up to 40% of our population is coming to campus twice a week. And so it's really a, an effort to try and develop a solution that better serves those customers. And so Kimley Horn has been, you know, helping us on the math side of it and, and developing the models, the financial forecasting models to say, okay, if we have this blend of this amount of parking is dedicated to the annual permit holders, because you still have those staff that need that long-term deep discount. You still have the campus residents, you know, where the you can charge more for the pay-as-you-go, and you don't want to charge more for those folks that are, you know, have to come to campus every day. When you have employees, you know, that are really on the lower end of their earnings spectrum, you, you know, it you really can't gouge them. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not feasible. It, it, it becomes untenable for them to come to work if they're having to pay more for parking than they earn you know, essentially. And we're, we're not in a position at the moment where we have to use price as a means of, of making people choose, do I want to bring, you know, it's, it's that transportation demand piece. You know, we, we have ample parking. And so we're not having to use price as a means of, of influencing that demand. Um, so it's really more of a, how do we provide the service to the customer? You know, if they're you know, buying a $150 permit for the year or a $250 permit for the year, you know, they're essentially paying $7 a day for parking. You know, whereas we flipped it and said, okay, I can save you money if you pay $5 a day for parking and we still get the revenue that we need if they're paying $5 each day. And so that's the, that's the piece of it that Kimberly Horn has been helping us with. And uh, we'll be rolling that out in the spring you know, by the time our permit sales begin in mid-April, I'm gearing up for fall of 22. Yeah, I love that. So we, I work in the municipal division at our company, and probably the most common question I hear from clients or our managers is, it kind of relates to what you're talking about with, with monthly contract pricing for city garages is a lot of employers, employees are going to kind of a hybrid model where you you know, you, you come to work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, work from home Tuesday, Thursday. But for the last 50 years, we've done a monthly prox card or permit that allows you to park for a month and you, you pay. But so it's, we're trying to find solutions where, you know, what's that right price where they can park certain days of the week and work from home others, not pay the full monthly, but still not have to pay the daily every time they park. Uh, so that's, it's it's really going to be cool how the parks equipments and technology providers come up with new technologies to support more of these hybrid models, like a pay as you go, as you would say it. And I think first we'll solve it in the garages and lots, and then 
eventually we'll see it at the on-street meters as well. You know, a car parks at a meter, pays for two hours, they go to their meeting, hey, quick meeting, 15 minutes, you're out of there. Now the the citizen has paid the city for two hours. You know, had they pay the city for a service they're not going to use, they should be able to kind of get that money back or just kind of be charged for what they used and get out. I think that would help a lot of the cruising pollution and all that by right, right. providing different options. But anyways, I could ramble all day about that one. I'm really glad you guys are doing that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's, what's nice is that, you know, the technology is all there on the back end. You know, you could have systems talking to each other, you know, when you take a look at the capabilities of LPR, you know, kind of moving to more of an account-based system and, and our customers in the college world, you know, they're all digital natives. They're expecting to be able to interact with us through our, through their phones. And that's, you know, recognizing that we're trying to meet that demand. So what I've observed is that, you know, as you look at how parking management systems have evolved through time, and we've had, you know, going from the very primitive, you know, yes, the gate opens and no, it doesn't open to, you know, now we have the business analytics and you can monitor your occupancy rates and your length of stay and all of those really cool metrics. But a lot of that development has been for the management side. and what we really need is, is, you know, the customer focus. How do we create the user experience that's best for the customer? Yeah, I think you're spot on. The, the, the technology is there. The solutions are there. It's kind of uh, mapping out that communication piece to the customers, tying it all together uh, oh, to absolutely. make this seamless. Because a lot of these things, you only get one chance at a first impression. So you don't want to uh, blow well, it, even- not, not working at first, yeah. Absolutely. And, and if you think about needing to communicate with customers and, and going back to that event parking piece, you know, we have a football game, we're taking over half of the half of the campus, you know, because, you know, even at 25,000 customers, which is nothing close to a Texas A&M or University of Georgia, you know, but for a campus the size of, of 200 acres, it's significant influx of people. And we need to move people out of their habitual parking spaces to make room for them. And, and you know, our, our functional communication to campus is, hey, everybody, beware, there's a, there's a football game this weekend and we're taking over these parking lots. Whereas, you know, with the, the T2 systems of the world, you can target that communication through email, you know, to a, a particular customer based on a permit. You know, but imagine going out and, and scanning a parking lot and then being able to send an SMS text message. You know, hey, you're parked in this parking lot be aware that by 6 p.m. you have to have your car moved. You know, and that's the kind of, of technology that, that we're really trying to pull together. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, what else? So what else has uh, Western Kentucky got going on? What keeps you up at night? What are you excited for? Tell us a little bit more about uh, parking and transportation at Western Kentucky. Well, everything that, um, everything that we do, we continue to look for you know, ways of, of being more efficient. You know, and and my boss, you know, when I stepped into this role, she's like, "We want revenue and we want efficiency," <laughs> and and so everything that we we do, we kind of look through that lens um, to do that. There's a lot of opportunity um, partnering with the city of Bowling Green. Um, right now, we're running um, two separate transit systems, and we had a study done through our metropolitan planning organization a couple of years ago where we, you know, we really asked the question: Does it make sense for that? And you know, can we gain some efficiencies by partnering and, you know, still meeting the core needs of our students, but partnering with the city in such a way that we can gain some efficiencies there. Um, and those, those conversations are ongoing. 
and certainly um, bringing back a an e-bike share uh, to campus. We had a before COVID, pre-COVID, you know, we had a, a bike share on campus, but it was it was limited to the campus, and which really wasn't a large enough population to sustain it. And so again, we're partnering with the city to um, to develop that. So a lot of town and gown kind of things, recognizing that we're going to be more successful if we uh, if we partner with the city on that, and and it also helps the city be successful too. The city has a desire to. To help create that town and gown relationship, and and really encourage students to to be a part of downtown, you know, and and keep downtown very vibrant. Um, so so a lot of those efforts are are really when we take a look at the campus master plan, you know, we have the students, we have the hill, which are the faculty staff, and we have the community. Western Kentucky University is one of the economic drivers for our area. And uh, whether that's through our innovation campus or small business development, um, you know, actually trying to facilitate growth of businesses in the area, creating applied learning opportunities for students in whatever their chosen field is, but really be an anchor for the Bowling Green community and, and to help Bowling Green grow. I like the term town and gown. So I, I, I've had a lot of university guests on the podcast. I, I've never worked in that environment. So I'm always shocked and surprised by how important that is, the relationship between the university and then the city that they're in. I did, you know, you, you think of the university as kind of a standalone, but there's so many synergies and collaborations with the surrounding community and, and the city. And that's something that I always like hearing about. And speaking of that, I remember uh, late last fall, last December, a tornado came through uh, Western Kentucky. I think like, you know, unfortunately 60 people passed away, communities yeah. destroyed and just devastating, especially me spending a lot of time in Kentucky. It was sickening to see all that, but I know the community uh, kind of came together. I'm not sure kind of if the university was involved, but maybe just talk about kind of that that moment and and how it affected the university and some things that you guys have been doing to support the surrounding communities. Oh, absolutely. December, December 11th, one twenty in the morning. Um, I was awake and, and on campus at the time and in the tornado, um, there were several, to several tornadoes that came through Kentucky that night. Um, the winds that went through Mayfield, Kentucky were um, certainly the most destructive and, and resulted in the most loss of life. But the, we did have EF3 tornadoes that came um, straight through, right adjacent to campus, actually. You know, we had tornado damage to our Pierce Ford Tower, where a, a, a lofted uh, two-by-four went through the 27th floor window, you know, and debris. We had, we sustained probably around $600,000 worth of damage across campus just from the debris that was flying from the oh, tornado. Wow. So if you, if you look at the path of the tornado, it went through through it, it it passed between south campus and main campus much closer to main campus and went through the roundabout which is one of our gateway entrances to campus and up the 31w um, corridor which is a, you know kind of a small business corridor adjacent to campus so uh it was a it was a very we're very grateful that it did not um, hit campus squarely i mean if it had been a quarter mile to the north you know we would be having a very different conversation um, yeah, I was looking was, at the uh, photos. Usually you see 
you know, like the roofs are off, trees mm-hmm. uprooted, and the communities are hit. The, the all the whole buildings are gone. It's just oh, leveled. It like the whole. Yeah. I hate talking about it, but yeah, I mean, just thinking about just a well, slight change in course that goes through the university and just yeah. destroys it. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and we were we were set to have our our graduation ceremonies for the fall semester on the 11th, and and obviously we canceled that. We had finished finals, um, you know, so classes weren't disrupted, but we did cancel the graduation ceremony. And when dawn came, it was like the longest, darkest night, uh, you know, because, you know, the power was out, the widespread power outages with the damage that was sustained. And it, it felt like it took forever to dawn, you know, to arrive so you could walk, kind of drive around and, and see what, you know, what a wait is. But as we were sitting in the operations center, emergency operations center, we were listening to the dispatch radios and listening to the dispatchers coordinate the first responses, uh, first responders where, you know, there's a building collapse, you know, fire engine six, please respond. Or, you know, the police officers, I'm, I'm done with this one. I need, what's the next assignment? And, and just the whole, it was really a dance and, and very surreal to listen to, you know, the the interdependency between the dispatchers and the first responders, you know, as they were responding to the disaster that was unfolding. It was really remarkable. And I'm glad you are safe and your students, again, though some of them may have had families in those areas. So still. uh, Yeah, we had uh, well over, well over a hundred faculty, staff and students that were directly affected by the tornado. Um, You know, some of the students were from Mayfield and, and they lost their homes. Um, some of the faculty and staff here lost their homes, um, and, and some were, um, have been displaced. So it has, it, it's affected the entire community. I mean, it's, it's been a kind of a, a community wide yeah. trauma, but the beautiful side of it is that the community came out in force and, you know, Saturday morning, people were out with chainsaws, you know, moving through neighborhoods and, and cleaning up debris. And, and what's truly remarkable is there are people coming from all over the United States to help. And we were getting phone calls from Tufts University, Appalachian State. You know, we're getting calls from other universities saying, how can we help? And, and that was a beautiful wow. thing. Wow. Oh, yeah. I just watched a documentary called The Rescue about the Thailand cave rescue operation. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, man, I cry like a baby just, at, yeah. just seeing all of yeah. the community and people all over the world come together to rescue right. these, these boys. But and my aunt, Aunt Pam... <laughs> who definitely doesn't listen to the podcast, but I want to give her a shout out. She so she worked for the American Red Cross for right. years after she retired. And so yeah. she she was on Ground Zero, Hurricane yeah. Katrina. Right. Um, so she would just tell these stories and I would just get emotional listening to me. Yeah, just sometimes she'd have nothing to say. She'd just sit there and hold someone's right. hand that's crying and just right. she would say the same thing though that you said that as hard as it is, it's it's also inspiring when you see people come together you see kind of the true nature of people working helping yeah uh, absolutely but, but yeah thank you for sharing that story and our thoughts and prayers still with the community oh, thank uh, you this episode is brought to you by parker technology the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry parker solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. 
With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcast. It's always hard to transition from something like that, but we're going to. Let's talk about IPMI. So uh, you're on the IPMI board. I think you've been yes. there for a few years. Yes. Kind of tell us a little bit about your time that you've been on the board and some of the initiatives and changes uh, that you've been a part of. Well, the uh, I think the biggest one was the uh, change in name from IPI to IPMI. Oh, um, so you were you know, on the board when that happened too? Yeah, on wow. the board when we we switched to adding mobility, you know, into the into the official name of the organization, and, and really in recognition that, you know, the parking and transportation is an ecosystem in and of itself. Hey, I'm bringing back the ecology there. <laughs> yeah, nice. You know, but um, but but it is you know it is a system. You know you, yeah. you have the transportation piece. Once you park your car, you become a pedestrian, and and all of that. You know how do you get the last mile? It, it's all integrated, and and if we can view it as that integrated system, then you know we can we can help the world move in a, in a much better better pace. I remember when I was on the cap board. Um, with IPMI, I remember Sean kind of telling us before it was official. I thought it was just odd. I, I you know, I'd always knew IPI, IPI. Now it's IPMI, but now I think like IPI was odd that it should yeah. have always been IPMI, and it's better <laughs> as IPMI. It's just funny that just changed, but it was the sure. right move. And think about how much better we are as professionals being associated with an industry that kind of changed our descriptions and made us more valuable to the communities and universities we serve. But yeah, that's And I'm gonna, awesome. you know, just kind of put in a plug for IPMI for a moment. And 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 I think it's reflective of the parking industry as a whole. I can I can go broader. But it's it's such a wonderful, diverse, supportive industry. You know, it and everybody, you know, understands what it's like to be in the trenches and understands that, you know, if I call if I call Alex down in Miami, hey, I'm dealing with this. What have you done? Alex is going to say, here, try this. You know, I mean, it, we get that yep. uh, uh, across the industry, and it's a it's a fantastic industry to be a part of. IPMI, I'm certainly the industry leader in um, providing professional services um, in support of the industry, and and very humble and very proud to be a part of the organization. Oh yeah, one of the best career decisions I've ever made was getting involved with IPMI, getting cap, writing books with the unit with the uh, IPMI committees. And you, and you really have yeah. to, you know, tip the hat to Sean and 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 Rachel and Kim and all of the staff that are that are IPMI. I mean, they they that is a force of nature <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to watch. You know, and you think about the change that happened when when COVID first came and 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 the world kind of came to a halt in the pivot that everybody made and and the changes that IPMI did to continue serving uh, the industry remotely was just remarkable. And uh, definitely kudos to the IPMI staff that um, continue to serve our industry so well. Yes. Yeah, think about that. Cause uh, I, again, I don't want to get into revenue and how to make money, but a big portion of the budget I would assume is the conference and the sponsorships Absolutely. and yeah. With COVID, what happened? No conferences exactly. and no sponsorships because a lot of these private operators or biggest sponsors, they you know they had their faucets turned off because no one around sure. the world was parking for a year. So absolutely, um, 
I'm so glad they've weathered the storm and they're put yeah. on a great conference last year. And believe it or not, IPMI 2022 is right around the corner. So where, yeah. where are we in 2022? Yeah. So New Orleans, uh, <laughs> Go down to what, New Orleans. what do you know? Do you know anything so far and what we can expect for IPMI 2022? Um, uh, well, I, I know that they're, they're working hard on, on pulling everything together. You know, the, I'm a part of the committee that selects the um, presentations and ranks the presentations and then then helps to put all that together so you know we've been in the process of reviewing those and by this time we should be i believe we've uh, sent all the notices out you know to to the people who are going to be presenting and so it's exciting to be a part of that because when you take a look at the show floor and being able to interact with all the vendors. I mean, that that's fantastic when you get to see the latest and greatest that's in the industry, you know. But uh, the networking piece of it, when you get to catch up with your peers, um, the educational system, you know, sessions where it's like, okay, show me how you've done that or talk to me about this new idea. You know, that it, it's all, you know, cutting edge stuff that helps propel our industry forward. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to being down in New Orleans again and uh, uh, participating in, yeah. in that conference. And I really liked how they did it this past conference. It was kind of different in that instead of having like the floors open from 10 to 2 these three days, it was more like floors open 8 to 5. There's classes also occurring, come and go as you please. A lot of the classes or should I say sessions were repeats. So if you missed, right. I really would want to go to one, but I missed it because I was yeah. on the floor or doing this. But that same session was also available the next day. I think it was more so right. people could go and be separated and not, you know, have enough room so they didn't want to overflow classrooms. So every class, uh, every session was right. was repeated twice. Uh, the floor was always open, so you come and go. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool talking a lot of vendors. They 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 felt they they got a lot more out of it too. So we'll see how. Uh, you know, I heard uh, a lot as of we that. Return to normal. What happens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard a lot of that same feedback. The the vendors, you know, they they felt the eight hours was a little long you know, for them, but they they felt like they had stronger interactions with, uh, yeah. with the customers, which was really good. And and I'm with you. I I loved the fact that if I I could plan, you know, which session do I want to be at, particularly when you have competing sessions where you want to be at both of them at the same time, and and having um, some of those sessions repeat allowed me to see both of them, you know, which was really helpful. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for your, because uh, again, this is not paid. Thank you for your your service to IPMI, the support there and the things IPMI is doing and also Western Kentucky. So how can we, you know, listeners like what they're, uh, like what they're hearing, they want to learn more about the operation. How can they learn more or follow along with Western Kentucky parking and transportation? Well, we are uh, online at wku.edu slash transportation. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. And if anybody is interested in in contributing to a scholarship fund to help those students affected by the tornadoes, I, I will send you a link for that as well. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to ask that as well. So I will put that in the show notes if you want to yeah. Uh, yeah, contribute to, to that. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Yeah. And also, I, I don't know the website, but if you just go to the IPMI website, there's like a uh, knowledge center. Resource just, center? Yeah, mm -hmm. resource center. But Mm -hmm. You could just type in Tugus and you're going to get like 20 articles and blogs and you can read up all kinds of cool things going on there. But I love that. Yeah, I hope to I hope to add one or two in the next year, you know, to that uh, you know, share a little bit more. Awesome. 
So when you're not parking cars and uh, serving for IPMI, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> oh, I, um, you know, I did a lot of work with Habitat for Humanity. And I think uh, particularly with the tornadoes, I'm going to be re-engaging in that quite a bit oh, as yeah. we rebuild in Bowling Green. Um, so I've I've built a shed in my backyard. I've I've built stairs off my back deck, you know, so it's kind of like fun with power tools. Uh, but I also enjoy uh, canning. And, uh, you know, so I, I make a mean apple butter. Um, I'm going to have to share some with you. Uh, okay. But, so was this a you, COVID new hobby or were you doing this before <laughs> COVID? Oh, actually, uh, no, I've, I've been canning for quite a while. And, so before and it was cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh well, it's kind of like you moved to Kentucky and, and you, know, you, can, <laughs> yeah. you can go down and, and it's one of those skills that, you know, I can, I can preserve my own food and have it for the winter. It, it's, and I will say that when I make something, you know, like I, if I can a bunch of tomato juice and, and make a tomato sauce and a lasagna, I can eat that lasagna day after day. Whereas if I use a store-bought tomato sauce to do it, my stomach says, no, you know, I can't do that. So when you can get away from those preservatives that, that are found in all of our processed foods, you just feel better on the inside. And, and so that's one motivation for it. But another motivation is that I get to share it. And so my Christmas presents to my family members tend to include some canned goods. So it might be a, a grilled bourbon peach jam, or it might be a, the Gentleman Jack apple butter. You know, I mean, it, it could be a, a different, uh, you know, that's different a- little gifts and, and, and it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And I have a celiac disease like, uh, oh, yeah. Like mm-hmm. gluten and other allergies. My, na- I have. my neighbor has that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I found yeah. too, just in general, like I've, um, I've done all kinds of allergy tests. I'm allergic to a lot of stuff, but I've just found when I eat certain foods, even mm-hmm. like if I don't wash the blueberries yeah. efficiently, like thoroughly, I'll. Right. Like my stomach's messed up. It's it's so crazy. Just all the, again, I don't well, want to get true. on a tangent, but the chemicals and the different things they use that. Um, well, you you think about tear me up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the industrial food industry. You, you know, I mean, in the industrial food production, you know, that we have all sorts of things that have been introduced into the food supply within the past 70, 80 years that humans were never exposed to, and so the body. Yep. I'm kind of going back to my biological background here. No, it's exactly if you don't right. Have, if you don't have a metabolic pathway to to take care of whatever that ingredient is, it it can do harm to the body, uh, and and so yeah, it's no wonder we have we have you know kinds of issues that we have, and yep. and certainly the the food supply is part of that. Yeah, and then like you said, the preservatives as well. So I probably should look into doing that more because I'm sure it would be better for you, me you would you would be surprised at at how you feel when mm-hmm. you when you mm-hmm. cook from that and um as opposed to what you can get off the store shelves <laughs> that's awesome well thank you so much jennifer i really appreciate you joining the podcast i oh, think i, I, wanna, I have oh go ahead yeah i was gonna say i want to thank you for for hosting it you know what my my homework assignment i drove down to tampa for the uh for the Tampa show. And, and I was like, I'm going to download those podcasts and listen to it on my drive. And, and it was so much fun, you know, to hear what, what my colleagues are doing around the industry. And it gave me some great ideas and some great insights. So I appreciate that you're, you're doing this as a, I mean, it, it's, 
I, I'm in, I'm curious as to what inspired you to begin with, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, it it really is a, a service to the industry to to have these interviews, and and so it, thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, it is funny because I don't ever check the stats. Every once in a while, I get like texts from people or friends about something I said. I'm like, huh, people have actually listened. To it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the IPMI, everyone you know, well, at the conferences, we'll, we'll mention and say episodes they like. So I always makes me feel good, but I'm kind of weird. I've talked about this on the show before, but I'm really weird on New Year's resolutions, not like uh, more about learning. So every year I'll choose yeah. like 10 things this year, 2022, I'm trying to learn to ride a unicycle. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> so Very always, good. Oh, last year is origami, balloon animals. So there's always, but one year I just said, I'd like to learn how to podcast. I know nothing about audio engineering and so it was kind of just did it and now i can't stop i keep trying but i can't get out of it it's it's (laughs) because it's like i don't i probably lose money on it from the website and shipping and right all the time i spend on it but you know like we've talked before but now i know you on another level and we're building a friendship over me doing this silly hobby on nights and weekends so it's it's one of those where the intangible though you know the the relationships and the networking's been way more beneficial to me than right than just putting out a podcast so that's why i'd like it and do it yeah awesome all right well thanks again i uh, can't wait to see you at ipmi and um again we'll put that link so listeners can donate and, and contribute to the uh to the western kentucky uh, tornado that hit in last december so thank you so much jennifer have a have a great week oh thank you so much Isaiah. appreciate it <laughs> all right see you This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993, Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez Solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com.